As a uh, general reminder of where we've been this semester, we've been making our way through 1 John as a part of our sermon series that you may know. We called it that. We called it that you may know because it appears that John, the disciple and uh, writer of one of the gospels in addition to this letter, it appears that there were some people that he was writing to who did not know the truth. They did not know uh, some truths about who God is, what he has done in Jesus, and who they are in relation to that work. Uh, Some people that John describes as anti-Christ, people who are against Christ, have gone out from the church and have proclaimed alternative facts, alternative truths uh, to the one that John has presented. And John writes so that they can be rooted in what is real and good and true from God. Last week, the truth we looked at was from 1 John 4, 1 through 6. And we talked about what it means that Jesus Christ came in the flesh and that that is our identity. This week, we continue on in our letter uh, in 1 John 4, 7 through 12. Here we find the truth of God's love for us and what it means for our relationships with one another. Let's read that passage. Uh, I think it's on, up on the screen behind me. Cam, you're the man. Uh, this is 1 John 4, 7 through 12. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we do pray that you would let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I've said this uh, before this semester as we've talked about love, but as 21st century Americans, we love love. We love the idea of love, the concept. We come across a passage like this in the Bible, and it really seems to make perfect sense, doesn't it? If there is a God, we've all agreed basically to this point that uh, this is the God we'd want, one who is loving. This is This is what he would sound like. He would say that we ought to get along with one another, uh, that we ought to be kind to one another. Uh, Many atheists and universalists alike will observe that this, that loving other people is really the guiding principle behind all religions. And so they lump them together either for the atheists to dismiss all religions in one fell swoop and say like, well, if all it is is to love other people, then... I can be a good person and I can love God. I can be a godly person without ever actually having to go to church or know God. There is no such thing as God. It's all just boiled down to just being a nice person. Uh, And the universalist, the person who says, whatever you believe doesn't matter as long as you are sincere. God is the God of all religions. and He's all the same. Uh, That person says, 
It's not that the, everything else is just particulars, little preferences, but God fundamentally is this God who loves. Uh, in the West, love is the common denominator of all that is good in the world. And we act like that is the only truth about God. And in 1992, three white police officers and one Latino police officer were caught on video brutally murdering, sorry, not br- murdering, brutally beating almost to the point of murder. They actually cracked his skull, uh, beating a black man by the name of Rodney King in Los Angeles. Uh, When these police officers uh, faced trial, they were all acquitted of their charges of excessive force. And uh, that summer became known as the Los Angeles race riots. Uh, Los Angeles devoted, basically devolved all summer long into uh, a series of riots and looting in anger over the injustice. As the city burned, Rodney King himself, the man who had been assaulted by the police officers, became famous when he addressed the whole country in a press conference. He said this, people, I just want to say, you know, can we all get along? Can we all get along? Uh, The phrase has now been popularized. Most people, if you know about the Mandela effect, we all miss quote him, we say like, can't we all just get along? That's a phrase that a lot of people say, but it, it's attributed back to Rodney King. Can, can we all just love one another? What's so hard about that? Why can't people just be loving? But that's precisely the point, isn't it? It's not actually very easy to love at all. Right there in verse seven, the first passage, uh, the first verse of the passage before us tonight, we are told that we must love one another if we are truly regenerated from spiritual death to spiritual life as God's children, right? When I say regenerated, I mean to be born again. If you are going to be, if God is going to take your dead heart and make it alive again, uh, if that has happened to you, then you must love one another, according to John. Uh, But here's the problem. To paraphrase C.S. Lewis's mere Christianity. So we come up against this terrible duty of forgiving our enemies. If uh, everyone, so if you think about, uh, if we have to love everyone, then everyone is included in that. And that means you come up against this reality of having to love your enemies. And everyone knows that uh, to love your enemy means you must also forgive them. Uh, it means that you must look past the wrong and care for them anyways, to wish their good anyways. And as C.S. Lewis also says right after that in his book, Mere Christianity, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. Let me say that again. Everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until you have something to forgive. Until you have been the one wronged, it seems so natural and so right for everyone to be loving and to look over uh, past hurts. Uh, This week, I've seen countless people, uh, many of them uh, friends who are Christians and non-Christians alike, post different iterations of the following statement on various platforms of social media. Uh, Things like, if you voted for Trump, please unfriend me. Please never speak to me again. You are a racist and I don't want you in my life. I've also seen the other side. If you uh, voted for Biden, please unfriend me. You're a baby killer. And I hate you and I hope I never speak to you again. Please unfriend me. I've seen, I've seen people from both sides of the aisle post these kinds of posts. 
that you are the sum of your evil and I want nothing to do with you. I do not, not only do I not forgive you, but I hate you and I hope you are never in my life. For as much lip service as our culture wants to pay to love, we don't know anything of the sort. Uh, In Rodney King's day, it was a struggle to love his white neighbors, many of them Christians who stood by and did nothing as black and brown people were subjected to police brutality, were treated with injustice. In Lewis's day, right, he follows this quote with uh, kind of a self-examination. He says, I know that I just said that you have to forgive your enemies, but you might actually say, so you mean I'm supposed to just forgive the Nazis who they would have just stopped fighting a war with after he wrote Mere Christianity. And Lewis was like, yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. I don't know if I have the strength to do that, but that is what I'm saying. Today, we're still fighting this deep down. We don't want to love one another, right? Some, Some of you may have been like, oh, I would never post those things on Facebook and those people are bad, right? Okay, well, you have a hard time loving people who post those kinds of things on Facebook, right? You can't escape this reality that there are people in this world that you're not going to see eye to eye with, they're going to hurt you, that are going to say things that you don't agree with, that are going to believe things that you don't agree with, right? Maybe untrue things, right? Maybe not the gospel, maybe not the Bible, whatever. And we have to know what to do with those people. And John is saying, if you believe in Christ, you must love one another, we can't just love when it's convenient. That is, that's, the, that's the way our culture does things. Um, I'll love you as long as you're so much like me that it's not too much of, a, of an inconvenience. Because what I really love is me. But God is clear. We are to love one another without exception. And so this is what we have. Gridlock. How do we overcome it, right? How do we... Love one another as John has commanded God's people. Well, tonight, as we look through our passage, John is going to submit to us three reasons, three motivations, three things that can get us over the hump, get us over this gridlock of this deep-seated us versus them, hatred, tribalism mentality that I think really grips all of us. That is these, these three things. God is loving in his character. That's from verse 8. God is loving in his conduct, that's verses 9 through 10, and God is loving through his community, that's verse 12. So we're going to look at each of those. Um, If you want me to repeat them again, it's his character, conduct, and community, uh, if you're a note taker. Uh, Let's look at our our first point. We must love one another because God is loving in his character. Look with me at verse 8. Look with me at verse 8. Here John tells us that God is love. In fact, uh, he says that God is love to such a degree that if we do not love, we cannot possibly know him, right? Uh, it'd be like your friend who is a huge uh, Packers fan. Vi- I can't say it. If he's a huge Vikings fan, like, my, like me, good person. Um, the winners, the, the best people. Uh, just kidding. Um, you guys are all like, and we're going to kill you now. Um, this is what I'm talking about. You got to love your enemies. Okay, so uh, let's say that um, your friend's a Vikings fan. He's a huge, diehard Vikings fan, right? To not know that he's a Viking, right? To not appreciate that, to not, or maybe not appreciate it, but to not know that about him is to not really know him. Right? If somebody really loves something, 
you, if it's part of their personality, you can't know them if you don't see that about them, if you don't exhibit that thing yourself. So to know God is to, is to love because it is fundamentally who God is. The first thing we should notice about this statement, right, about God being love uh, is, is what it does not say, right? It does not say that love is God, right? It does not say that love, this idea of love is God, whatever is the highest thing. It's the attribute, right? The, the characteristic, the idea that we're talking about is not God. God possesses this attribute. He is love, uh, this means that, uh, one, it's uh, a couple things are not true about this. Uh, this argues against universalism, right? The thing that I said earlier about God, um, that love being the supreme thing and all religions are basically getting at the same idea, right? The fact that God is love and not love is God means that God defines what love is, right? God defines what love is. God is love. Therefore, uh, it is inappropriate to think that all, all religions that have love in them, whatever definition they hold, are all pointing at the same God, but rather you have to define love by what, how God defines it. Uh, and it also, uh, how he defines it is not just through feelings of warmth or um, care, right? Against the conception that... Uh, all loving feelings are created equal. So there's this idea that if God is love and he defines what love is, it means that what we tend to think of as love is affection or care or um, desire, passion for somebody else, uh, that that is not necessarily uh, who got like what we mean by love. Um, not all loving feelings might be godly. Uh, but here's what else it does. Here's what it does say. That's what it doesn't say. It's not a universalistic uh, statement that if you just love people, then you know God. Uh, it says a communicable attribute that is immutable. Now, I know I just said three huge, like $5 words. I'm going to define them each, okay? What it does say, if God is love, right? The first thing we should know is that, uh, that love is an attribute of God, meaning that it is part of his character um, and also that it is uh, communicable, meaning that it's not such a part of his character that we can't understand it, right? It's, com- it's able to be communicated to us, right? So for instance, when we talk about God's character, we might also talk about the fact that he's always existed, but he's self-existent, right? But none of us know what it's like to be self-existent. We can't even actually fathom it because everything we've ever known has a beginning and an end, right? But not God. uh, So that's incommunicable. But God's love is something that we can know. We also love. We also do things like God does in the area of love. We're not the same as God, but we exhibit this attribute, uh, particularly in the ways that we care for other people, right? That's what John is trying to get us to do is to care for our neighbor, right? Uh, from our hearts to love them. Uh, and so uh, it's part of God's character and we can know that part of God's character and also that it's immutable. What does that mean? 
what does it mean that God's love is immutable? What it means is that unlike you and I, when we love things, we can also stop loving those things, right? Uh, many of you want me to stop loving the Vikings. One day you're holding out hope that I will stop doing that because it's painful uh, for me and for you, I promise. Um, but, right, you also, uh, but God does not work that way. When he sets his love or affection on someone or something, that is always the, ways, the way that he works, right? That he is immutable. He is unchangeable. That's what we mean by immutable. Um, if you think about like the TV being really loud, you can't unmute it. It's immutable. Um, anyways, uh, it doesn't change. And what this means is that the way that God has loved his people, right? Displayed throughout the whole of scripture, the way he loved Adam and Eve and covered them in the garden after their sin, the way that he loved Abraham, set his affection upon him and called him out to make of him a great people and a great nation to save the whole earth. The way that he loved David, uh, made him a king after his own heart and gave him a people and and fulfilled his promises to Israel uh, through him. Like all of those stories are, are stories about how God loves his people. And the reason that those stories even make any sense or any difference to us is because God is not different now in his love than he was then, right? This is a fundamental thing we believe about the Bible, that if God is love, he's not love when John wrote this and then now he might change his mind. What John, what John means is God has been, is, and will be love. Whenever you're reading this letter, he is still love, and he always will be. Uh, whenever I was in high school, uh, I did a bad thing, you guys. I did a bad thing. I did a thing that uh, probably a few of you have done in here. Maybe you did. Maybe you weren't terrible like me, and you avoided it. But uh, when I was in high school, at the end of a breakup, right, I was breaking up with my high school girlfriend, uh, I, uh, you know, I looked at her. It's not a bad thing, but it definitely stung a lot. I just told her, and I was like, I don't really love you anymore, right? I don't really love you anymore. I'm sorry. Sorry I told you I loved you, but I don't really feel that way anymore. And it just like crushed her, right? And she was like, did you ever love me? And what she was really asking was like, well, if you don't love me now, then you probably didn't love me before, right? She was getting at this idea of like, surely your feelings aren't that fickle. Surely when you say that you love something, you stick to it, right? And the reality is I didn't, <laughs> I didn't really mean it because what we mean by love and what God means by love is that it doesn't change, right? That's what I mean by saying that I did a bad thing is that I wrote a check I couldn't cash. I told her that I loved her, but I didn't. Why? Because I didn't follow through. I didn't stay the course. God will never tell you that, that he doesn't love you anymore. The fact that God is love today is also that he will be love 10,000 years from now and beyond. And if that's the case, then you are secure in God's affection, right? That, that the same love that, that God supremely displayed on the cross in Jesus is no less or more than it was that day because God doesn't change. Uh, you don't need to be right in every argument that you have with your parents. You don't need to earn the approval of your peers or your professors or your bosses. 
Uh, you don't need a cute boy or girl to like you. You already have the affection of the Most High, and that is never going to change. God will always love you. So we must love our neighbor because God is loving in his character. That's our first point. But God doesn't just have feelings of love right toward us, this desire for us, this passion toward us, or else uh, that might be all that is requested of us, right? John says you must love your neighbor. If all we knew about God being love was that he likes us, which he does, uh, then we wouldn't really know, uh, then that's all we'd have to do about our neighbor. Well, I don't hate him. But that's not where we leave it. Uh, we must love one another also because God is loving in his conduct. Look at me at verses 9 and 10. Uh, notice two things about love. God's love, uh, the first thing is this. God's love is not just a feeling, but a definitive action. Uh, what that means is that as God defines love, uh, it is very possible, as I said before, that you might experience feelings of attraction or love or what we would describe as love, some sort of deep abiding care for somebody else. And yet that not be the Bible's definition of love. Uh, love is more than one's proclivity or a desire. It is a dying of self uh, just as Jesus died, right? All definitions of love are not created equal. And John gives us that definition for love. It is an action that we take where we die to ourselves, just like Jesus died to himself on the cross. And uh, for the sake of another, it's why uh, when Paul takes up the idea of love, particularly marital love, he says that uh, a husband and a wife actually model the same love as Christ and the church, that two unlike things, two unlike beings, the church, an unlovely, runaway, uh, ugly, sinful bride is married to Christ, a sacrificial, loving, all good uh, person. And that those two things are being united. In Ephesians 5, he talks about, uh, Paul talks about the fact that a husband and a wife do the same thing when they are united in marriage, that a husband who is fundamentally both physically and spiritually different and other than a wife come together in marriage and that the husband is to model Jesus's love, his sacrificial giving of himself for his bride, his wife. That that is what God has in mind when he talks about love. The second thing that we are supposed to notice about God's love being an action is that it is not just an action, but a one-sided action. It is not that we loved God, says John, but that he loved us as a propitiation for our sins. Um, we've talked about propitiation before, but in verse 10, that means that it's a, a covering over of our sin to appease God's wrath. God pours out his just anger for our sin and rebellion on Jesus so that we can be right. What that means is that God did not get right or God did not wait for you to make yourself right before he loved you, that he set his affections on you, that he made a way for you to be with him before you ever wanted him right? That he doesn't wait for you to get right before he dies for you. God loved you when you were his enemy. 
before we write off our enemies, no matter how nasty, we should remember that God did not write us off. Uh, Jesus, Jesus tells a parable in Matthew 18 about a servant uh, who is uh, in debt to a king. 10,000 talents. What, uh, a talent is a unit worth about 20 years of wages for a laborer. This guy owes the king 10,000 times 20 years worth of labor. He can never pay it back. And the king comes and calls in this guy, the servant, calls in his debt and says, I want you to pay me. And the servant says, please, can I have more time? What a crazy, can I have more time? Not all the time in the world could actually get this guy to where he needs to be to pay this person back, to pay this king back. But the king takes pity on him, forgives this man's debt. Later on that same day, he runs into a buddy of his that owes him a hundred denarii, which is about a hundred days wage, right? Not a small amount, but comparatively to 10,000, or sorry, 20,000 years times 10,000, this, or sorry, 20 years times 10,000, is a very small amount of money, right? The servant actually has his friend thrown in prison to get back the debt he owes, Unsurprisingly, when the king finds out about this, he summons the servant, tells him, you could not forgive that small debt after I forgave you everything, and he throws him in prison. Jesus tells this parable to articulate the reality that like, we are the bigger debtor, right? We are not, you might think like, oh, so if I have the little debt, no, 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 you're the big debtor. We are all the person in here who has 10,000 talents owed and cannot pay it. And, and God is willing to take on that cost, take on that price in Jesus and give you his righteousness, forgive your debt. If that's so, how can we deprive our enemies the forgiveness we've been given? This doesn't mean for the record that we overlook sin, that we overlook things like racism or abortion, or any other issue that the Bible tells us that we should care about. But, and, and of course, also I'll say this too, there are also times of abuse where it might mean that you actually do step away from somebody, that you, because you are in danger uh, mentally or emotionally uh, or physically, that you are in danger from this person. But on the whole, it does mean that you can't hold someone else to a higher standard than you hold yourself to, then, then God has held you to, right? That we ought to seek to understand our neighbor, to love them before we end our relationships with them. We must love our neighbor because God is loving in his character and because God is loving in his conduct. Uh, the last point uh, that we have, there's a lingering reality here though, you can, I can talk to you about Jesus's love, right? And I can tell you that he loves you and God loves you. It's part of his character and that he's died on the cross. But the reality is for some of us here tonight, you don't really feel that that's true. That, that, that happened a long time ago. And, uh, you know, it'd be one thing if Jesus could be here and could tell me he loved me and give me a hug and he could be my friend, but you understand all my friends have left and I don't really feel like people care about me. And I don't feel like God really cares about me. And, you know, I understand that Jesus died, but like, what, what, what am I supposed to take from that? I don't, I don't feel that, that that's true. 
John also writes this for you. Uh, This third point, we must love one another because God is loving through his community. Look with me at verse 12. Look with me at verse 12. The last thing John says, he admits something. He acknowledges a truth. No one has ever seen God. We have not seen God. Jesus is not physically present here, right, to give you a hug, to fight for you. Um, He was not there to protect Rodney King, right? Not physically. He did not stop the Nazis. Um, He's not, he doesn't always provide for mothers that are facing a difficult decision. He, where was he when George Floyd uh, slowly suffocated, right? There are realities that we, where was God? I didn't see him. And this is what John says. John says that God, though invisible, is not far from us. Look at the end of verse 12. In all these situations, he's not far from us. Look at the end of verse 12. John says, when we love one another, God abides in us. In fact, we are so one with God, John says, that his love is perfected in us when we love one another. The word perfected uh, here in the Greek um, has the root word telos, which is, uh, if you know anything about um, philosophy, like teleology, uh, sorry, teleod, uh, the telos of something is its end. It's consummated in, it's, it's the point for which it was made. Like the telos of a screwdriver is to drive screws into things. Uh, and, and so the idea here is, is that if you are perfected, you are being completed. You are reaching the end for which you were made. You are, the thing is being accomplished. It is being perfected. Um, we think of it being like a hundred on a test, like passing a test, but the way this word should be thought of is that it has reached its fulfillment. It has gotten to where it was supposed to go. And here's the reality that that means that God's love has a mission, that it starts with you, but it doesn't end with you. His grace goes somewhere. When we place our faith in Jesus and God takes up residence in our lives through the Holy Spirit, then we actually act as his body, that we become his hands and his feet on this earth to give other people hugs, right? To actually be his body, his hands and feet, to have our steps directed by him and that his people can complete his love in their lives, that he Though he is invisible, he is not not present. Though he, that you can't see him, that you can't touch him, we can touch one another. Maybe, you know, socially distant at times, uh, but we can, right? Uh, maybe, you know, your pod, like whatever group you're in, can touch one another. That's, that's honestly why we probably feel so much longing in COVID is that we are made, God's body, his people are made to be his hands and feet to wrap one another in love, to stand up for the defenseless, to, to provide when there is no other way, to give of our time and resources to people who are down in the luck and need those things. That's our job. We are to love one another because God has loved us, because God has given us, lavished us in his rich love and when we love one another, what we are doing is simply loving with God's love. To put it as John does, God is that love that we give to our neighbor. We experience him through the love that his body exhibits to us. 
Um, when uh, my mom passed away, I was an RUF intern. I was living in Bloomington, Indiana at the time. My mom passed away of breast cancer when I was about uh, 22. And uh, I remember there was uh, this, we, we would always get together on Wednesday mornings and we would sing uh, some songs, just like a little small praise and worship session with my pastor and my co-intern at the time. Uh, and it was just us three. We would just get together and it was just to warm our hearts and to uh, call one another into love with Jesus. And I remember one time, uh, it was actually the week after my mom had passed, I showed up to this you know, small little get together and we were all going around the room. We were sharing how we were doing. And I just told everybody, I'm going to be honest, uh, I just really don't care about this. I don't believe any of the words that I'm singing. I don't really think that God cares about whether I am or am not singing. He certainly doesn't care about my mom or me. And I, this feels very fake. This whole thing feels very fake. But I'm here because I think that's what I'm supposed to do. And uh, I'll never forget my pastor got up. Uh, walked over to me and just gave me the biggest hug he could muster. And he says, I'm going to pray for you. Okay. And I said, okay. (laughs) And he prayed this prayer that, Lord, I'm going to be honest. uh, I don't think my friend uh, believes that you love him, but you're hugging him right now. And I believe that. Guys, that, that is what John is talking about. We have to love one another if we are born of God. We have to love one another if we are born of God. We have been given so much. We've been given so much. And how could we do so little? What does that mean? It means hug one another, right? Hug, hug other people. Um, I, yes, COVID, I believe all that. Don't hug everybody, but like in your home, in your house, whatever, like hug your roommates and tell them you love them, you know? Um, Find a friend that that doesn't have any other friends and love them, right? Hug them. Bear one another's burdens. Cry with each other. Care for each other. Be where Jesus would be. Ask someone you don't know to hang out, right? Uh, If you're new to RUF, like... Uh, if you've been here 10,000 years, right? If you believe the gospel, like, lo- like reach out, care for each other. Uh, tell your unbelieving friends about Jesus. <laughs> Love them enough to risk that relationship, to risk that conversation, uh, because they need to hear that this love is available to them. Care for them. In the end, we we must love our neighbor because God is loving in his character. He is loving in his uh, actions, in his conduct, and he is loving through his community. 